Hey guys, it's Jess. I am so excited to be on with Ben Mandelkar from Watch What Crappens. Hey, Ben. Hey, what's going on? I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, thanks for having me here. Of course. I mean, I'm really in deep with you guys when New York, Beverly Hills, and Vanderpump Rules are on, because those are my top three shows, and I'll listen to every single episode you guys produce recapping those shows. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you've got great taste, not because you listen to us, but because of what you watch on Bravo, for sure. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Beverly Hills is a little bit in a slump right now, but of course, I'm always going to tune in. But uh, New York is unparalleled. I actually think that New Jersey has come up a lot and is is sort of like knocking on the number two spot, although Potomac had an excellent year last year. So Mm -hmm. it's always sort of hard to tell. There's like a revolving door of second best to, to New York. But yeah, New York though is New York is the is the like un, un undisputed champ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope they can hold it with Bethany gone. They'll be fine. The, no. I mean, it's like the people on New York are so iconic. It'll be fine without Bethany. I would love to talk to you about like what yours and Ronnie's recording process is like because I know you guys do it over Skype. Like, how far are you? I know you're both in LA. How far are you physically? Um, well, actually, it's a little different these days because Ronnie um, is—he's a little—he's in two places at once right now. He has—he—he he still has his apartment in LA, but he also got a little place in Austin near his family. Oh, so wow. lately, he's been recording from Austin, Texas. Uh, so he actually has been farther. Uh, but previously, he was like a mile away from me, and we were just like too lazy to just assemble every single day. Yeah. Uh, partially because it's annoying to drive places in LA. And also, I think the real thing is parking. Parking is annoying. And if you have to go somewhere and park every single day, it's just, it's not worth it. Um, at least that's what we tell our, each other. But we do, we record over Skype. And it's crazy. It's a little tricky because there's a lot of um, stepping on each other's lines sometimes. Or mm-hmm. if there's a connection issue, that doesn't always sound the best. But for the amount of episodes we churn out, it's just like the easiest thing for us to do. I mean, I, I love recording with him in person. We occasionally do that. And then when, when we do our live shows, we're in person. And it's like, that's the best because our rhythm is a little bit is a little tighter. And, you know, I can see when he has to say something and he can see when I have to say something. So it's just right. a slightly smoother. But, you know, we've been doing this for like eight and a half years. And uh, we've, we've sort of like figured out more or less how to do it with Skype. And you're releasing five episodes a week, right? Yeah. I mean, we sometimes have six or seven episodes. Um, Plus, we also have a bonus episode for Patreon. So Uh sometimes we churn out a lot. And we've actually recently sort of had like a a mini powwow where we're like, we can't keep doing seven episodes um, and a bonus. So we're going back down to five Mm -hmm. um, because it's too much. You know, we do a lot of touring, but even regardless of the touring, you know, for every episode that we watch, we have to sit and take notes. And we've become, over the years, so detailed with our notes that we take that to Mm -hmm. watch every show takes anywhere from like an hour to an hour and a half. And so just to do all those shows, and especially since so many of them are at the beginning of the week, it just creates this crazy logjam of stress. And then it burns us out. And then we can't be funny. And then we're not enjoying what we're doing. So So you you know how it is. Do you just record one episode a day? Um, we try to, we try to like do as many in a day as possible. So like on Mondays we'll do, we'll record Shaz of Sunset and Real Housewives of Atlanta and maybe the bonus episode too. So we just sort of can have like a really intense one day and Mm -hmm. then, you know, and then we'll record as need be. So like on Thursdays we'll record Jersey and Summer House. Uh, you know, it'd be great if we could get screeners for some of these shows. Uh, I know that like much more. I'm shocked that you don't at this point. Yeah. A bunch of our colleagues wow. get them. Um, I just that is shocking. Just, Why don't you? You should. I mean, have you asked? Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> and the my thing God. is that you know the thing is, if we got screeners, we probably would be able to cover more shows because then we could have a more efficient recording process in terms of our time, and we could get our shows up sooner, and we could get them get them to the audience as quickly as possible. But uh, we just haven't received them. Uh, so you know, uh, th- therefore we just we just. That's just the way it is. Yeah. What is but we're just okay. It's, we're, I'm, I'm <laughs> acting like we're martyrs to like some terrible thing. It's like literally screeners. Who cares? What has your relationship been like with Bravo? Because you, uh, you guys weren't at BravoCon, which shocked me. Yeah. No, I mean, um, 
like our our relationship, I think it's it's weird because we hear from a lot of people. Like we, you know, Ryan and I, we're in LA, and we also, you know, we've we've sort of like worked in. This sounds so pretentious. We've worked in the industry, <laughs> but we like know people who work in the industry, who have friends at Bravo, who friend, you know, friends at different tiers. And from what we've heard, people at Bravo really dig our show. Uh, but you know, one thing is that we go hard on them. Like we go hard on their talent, and I think that basically Bravo couldn't invite us to BravoCon because how could like if we are sitting there and we're railing on Jax and then they invite us to BravoCon and then Jax is there and is like I'm one of your stars how do you invite these guys the same event as me mm-hmm. that puts Bravo in a bad position so I think that like they're like outwardly facing I think they just sort of try to look the other way with us mm-hmm. <laughs> which is probably why we hmm. like did not get by the bravo con i mean it's I, okay but we were we were busy anyway by the way by the way we were busy did you anyway. have a live show that night yeah we were we oh, had shows in chicago so yeah, yeah i felt yeah. like that's good. super cool and being like sorry i can't make it even though i wasn't invited it's so interesting bravo's relationship with certain you know essentially recappers you know brian moylan for a long time had a had a really good relationship with them. And now that he's writing this book, he basically, Bravo has told housewives, current housewives, they are not to speak to him on record Mm -hmm. for this book. So like, and they're also not happy that he's writing it. Well, you know, at the end of the day, Bravo is still a corporate entity and I'm definitely not someone who's like, like, damn, I don't know if I can curse on your show. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to upgrade that to fuck corporate America. But it's, you know, there are people there who then start getting worried about their brand, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that what happens is that on like a lower level, I think like the PR wonks at Bravo just like to control the messaging. Mm-hmm. And so... um they see Brian Moylan doing that and they're like, no, no, this is like uncontrolled messaging. And like, that's something that we want to control and we, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So they get very territorial, but what they don't realize is that like this, like this ecosystem of podcasters and recappers, we all love Bravo. We are like the fans mm-hmm. and we also are giving them so much promotion. And I'm not like sitting here to like pat myself on the back, but the truth is we do like, I know with our show, we we really we shine a spotlight on on a lot of smaller Bravo shows that that don't always get the love on Watch What Happens. Hell yeah, uh, you're dedicating you know? you're dedicating an hour plus to shows like Summer House, which barely crack six hundred thousand viewers. You know the ratings for yeah, Summer and by House. Way, people should watch that show. It's so. Oh, good. we're we're gonna go deep on Summer House, but a show like that gets basically the same ratings. You know, maybe a little bit more, maybe a hundred thousand more viewers than one episode of Watch What Happens Live. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And you know, and the follow, thing is guys, that, follow Bravo ratings on Twitter. It's oh, fa- it is fascinating. But sometimes I get sad with Bravo when I look at Bravo ratings because sometimes my favorite shows don't do well, and then I get sad and get worried that they're going to get canceled. Well, New you York, know? New York historically has always rated far less than like a Beverly Hills or an OC, mm-hmm. and like it's clearly the superior show. It is the best, exactly. These days, I sometimes question all ratings because everyone watches in so many different platforms and and in such delayed ways. It's like ratings in some ways don't really. I don't. I, I want to say they don't matter, but I feel like they don't have the same potency as they used to. You know, they don't really tell the full story. I think there's like something to be said for online chatter and who's like discussing it and what's getting people talking in the groups. You know, mm-hmm. but either way, either way, like one thing that we're really proud of that we're like that we love is being able to show love to some of these shows that that haven't had as much love. Forget about from Bravo, but just from like pop culture as a whole like mm-hmm. you know they don't get necessarily the recaps in ew or wherever uh they don't get the media coverage but like we stand for them and we love them and like at the end of the day like watch for crappens is a total fan podcast mm-hmm. and we just capture what it's like to sit there and watch and sometimes when you watch these shows you are like oh my god i love this show oh my god i love her and sometimes you're like fuck him right you know <laughs> i don't think bravo always wants to hear the fuck him part of it but you know i mean what can you do? As Joe Judas would say, yeah, what, what can you do? What right. can you do? <laughs> Which, um, this is such a random question, but I think it actually will Please. maybe like key in some insight into the television ratings. Which shows are, or which recaps of which shows have the most downloads and streams of Watch What Crappens? That's a great question. And thankfully, I recently looked at our stats. So Ooh. I have it sort of an. Well, it's weird. As you know, because you're a podcaster, like episode stats are weird because 
they stats like accrue over time. Yeah, totally. So it it's does cu- well, it's like, cumulative. Yeah. So like if I look at like how did our episodes do over the course of a month, the ones that were early in the month tend to have higher totals because they've been out longer. But um, I just looked and I was actually surprised that uh, – well, at the top was Vanderpump Rules. At this time, it's Vanderpump Rules. New York will be at the top when New York comes back and Beverly Hills will be at the top. I was surprised Summer House was really good. New Jersey was also – yeah. New Jersey was also ranking well in our stats and Summer House too and also uh, below deck. But – it always, you know, the thing is also you have to remember. That, so wait, well, so what's, what, what's, surpri- what's surprisingly lower than you thought, like Atlanta? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not really surprised that that's, that's lower. I don't know if, like, that's, like, uh, I feel like that's, like, on par with what it is. I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what is surprisingly lower. Maybe Shaw's. Mm-hmm. I would think Shaw's would be a little higher. Mm-hmm. I know I have to look back to see what are the other surprising ones. But one thing that we do notice that with our, with over the course of, of a, a Bravo season, you know, interest usually picks up and picks up. Yep. And so as a result, like it's reflected in our stats. So usually when below deck comes around, it does nicely in, in our with our numbers. And then by the end of the season, it is like people are usually feeling a certain sort of way. So they just are like, got to listen. They're probably consuming all the below deck coverage at that mm-hmm. point. So they got to listen to our podcast, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was interested to hear your reactions to the controversies both on the below deck a reunion as well as the pastor situation on Vanderpump Rules and I thought your coverage of uh the pastor on Vanderpump Rules I thought it was I, I liked how outraged you were thank you you know really I you know Ronnie was really he was really the, he was really really mad mm-hmm. I was mad too but when you listen to the episode uh you will de- you definitely hear Ronnie just like losing his mind and just getting so angry Part of that is because I think Ronnie grew up with around that. Mm-hmm. So it really like it like hit a nerve. And I love that it hit a nerve and that he just said it. And he just was like, I'm going to go for that. I have to speak my truth right now. And I was angry, too. But um, uh, but you really can feel his rage. And it was so potent. And I think it really spoke for so many people that we had such a great response that episode. Mm-hmm. Um I was more, I was actually, I was like, my rage started to really come out the next week when I just got so annoyed with uh, Brittany and Jax just turning everything into, into like, uh, why can't you be happy for me? Why can't you be happy for me? This is probably the happiest moment of my life. <laughs> right, you know, right. I was like, oh my God, people <laughs> like, like, that's, that to me is like, I cannot stand brides and grooms that are act, that act like that. Like everything, we have yeah. to bow down to their, their awful wedding where we were shelling out thousands of dollars for every stupid event that you guys put on the schedule. <laughs> Which storylines that are like going on right now, I guess, you know, we can throw Jersey in the mix, but you know, of the shows that are on right now, which storylines or which shows are you super enjoying? Like which ones are like really fun to recap as well as like, you know, watch. You know what? I have to say, I love recapping Summer House because they are mm-hmm. so silly in there. And we just have so much fun doing, you know, making fun of Carl and Lindsay and their vapid little romance. It's just kind of like do you think it's dessert. Do you think it's real or like fabricated? I think it's real. I think it's real because my friend was in the Hamptons last summer and said he saw Carl and Lindsay making out in a restaurant like endlessly. And, and like was no, not and no, no cameras? No cameras. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. But, uh, Very good but, yeah, scoop I, there. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. A really, really important scoop for all the world. <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, but I, I just like really enjoy that. I, I think Summer House is just so, so, so good. And Vanderpump Rules, I also feel like is, I feel like Vanderpump Rules is rebounding from a really bad season last year. Me too. I'm thoroughly still not enjoying. There, but still great. Yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying Vanderpump Rules this season. And you know what's funny? This is my first season all in watching Summer House. Like last season, I kind of dipped in and out just to like you know understand who Hannah is and stuff. But this season, I'm actually watching every episode front to back. And you're so right when you described it or you likened it to eating dessert. It is a breath of fresh. Like anybody who's not yes. watching Summer House, like I guarantee you will love it. I, I agree. I think, you know, season one was actually really pretty amazing. I loved season one. Season two, they kind of fumbled the ball. The vibe was wrong. They did made some adjustments. Season three was really good. Mm-hmm. And so far, this season is great. I think the casting has been perfect. The vibe is right. And uh, one thing that I've noticed, so we again, we do all these live shows, and we recap these Bravo shows, 
you know, live shows. And we always try to recap whatever's going on in the week, whatever episodes are going on in the week at our live shows. And um, last year when we announced that we, were, we would be recapping Summer House on some dates, some people were like, oh, not Summer House. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to get this show. And this week, uh, this year, we definitely got people who were like, yes, Summer House. And oh. other people were like, oh, we're, oh, can we get Summer House? Can we get Summer House? So to me, that like, that really signifies something in, in my mind. And I've noticed on Twitter, yeah. like all like the, like a lot of like influencers and fellow podcasters are really just like catching the Summer House vibe. Yeah. So I, it, it's psyched. really good. It's really, really good. What do yeah. you think of this chick, Jules? Not not to be confused um, with Jules Weinstein, who just got arrested yes. in Florida. Or to be confused with Paige, who Jules is impersonating. Um, <laughs> right. I actually, I'm okay with her so far. I, I, you know, we've been making fun of her about being so thirsty and trying to be like Paige and the whole thing about how she can't find a subway that doesn't have Apple Apple Pay, so she's not taking the subway but was where like did they find ridiculous. Her? Where did they get her from? Like, it's, I think it's that she's, very weird. She's just, I think there's like this weird world of New York City content creators um, who all work at like PR companies. I mean, you know, because you're out there, like just this like, you know, because Paige and Hannah are both at Betches, Betches Betches.com. But but supposedly Jules moved from Chicago or something. Like she basically had not even like essentially moved to New York at the time she was cast on the show. So I really don't Yeah, I have no idea. I have have no idea. And I also noticed when uh, Margaret Josephs had a, had her 20th anniversary party for the Macbeth collection that mm-hmm. Jules was in the background there. She was? So she was some, yeah, she was. Oh, wow. So she's somehow connected to this world of something. But I have to say, I felt a twinge of sadness this episode, most recent episode of Summer House, when Jules was like, I'm trying to fit in and yes. I can't. And you saw her trying it to talk. It was sad, yeah. And like, no one was being mean. It just, you could see, like, they weren't really paying attention to her and she was dancing alone. And like my heart broke from her because I'm like, I'm Jules. I am Jules. Yeah. I think I had more aggressive feelings against her going in, like basically you know, yeah. until that occurred on the episode. And then suddenly I definitely felt a twinge of like empathy and yes. I-, I could feel it from her, but she's totally wrong. Like, I don't know how, what did they see on a casting tape that were like, that's our girl. Like she's it. Like, I'm they dying to know what they yeah, saw. Yeah, they sometimes make some odd choices. Season two, they cast a guy named Amith, who I think his name was Amith, who, like, literally did nothing. He didn't say anything. And at the reunion, all he said was, hi, Andy. I mean, it was like, why what? is he on Oh, my show? God. Yeah, it was ridiculous. That sounds nuts. What did you think of uh, Randall's coming out party on Vanderpump Rules? Wow, he really did it, huh? He came out. He with came out swinging. Double, double fried chicken. <laughs> hold the bread, because God forbid he, you know, he's trying to eat healthy, guys. So hold the bread with that double order fried chicken. My favorite part was Jax saying how, uh, you know, Randall's just like so giving and like, you know, like you know, he's flown us, he's flown us to Miami, he's flown us to the Caribbean, he's flown us to Mexico. He's just a giving guy, and our friendship developed naturally. I'm like. He bought your friendship. Right. He literally bought your friendship. <laughs> yeah, saying how organic it was. Yeah, that was completely ridiculous. Now, the big news was Leanne's quote unquote decision to leave for personal reasons. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, first of all, we have to go deep about how the hell did you get invited to her wedding? Oh, my goodness. You and Ronnie. I got to hear that whole story. And also, like, what did you think of the way it all shook out? You know, because clearly you have a connection with her. So like, yeah, I guess let's start it. Let's back up. And how did you wind up at her and Rich's wedding? I mean, I asked myself that also. Um, I mean, basically, you know, our relationship with Leanne began about two and a half years ago when she came to um, a live show that we did in Chicago. She came. It was hilarious. You know, uh, so that's where we met her. Was She's she, super did fun. Did she come on stage? She came on stage. Oh, she was on stage. She was, I mean, it was like kind of a legendary moment. She like took over. At one point she had the microphone and was standing in front of our little desk area. It became like Leanne Locken's show. She's uh-huh. like, all right, everyone, let me tell you about the time I met Sandy. Of course, <laughs> I refer to Sandra Bullock. I mean, it was hilarious. Because they were in Miss Congeniality together. Yeah. So she was really cool. Um, and then, you know, every now and then she'd come to LA and, uh, not, uh, she would sometimes like invite us to like meet up with the Abby. So we went, we'd go like drink with her super fun. And then we did a show in 
we did a show in Dallas and um, uh, she came to that with Rich and Rich is so adorable. And so she invited us to the wedding. I mean, we were sort of surprised. I think, you know, we were always like big fans of her on the show. We always knew that she was like crazy. um, But we always like, well, actually, the first season we hated her. We hated Leanne. And then second season, sometimes there's this effect on Bravo where you hate someone for a full season. You hate a lady for a full season. And then you have like some time away. And then you realize, oh, wait a second. She was hilarious and amazing. And so we just were like, oh, my God, Leanne Locken is hilarious. So we were always just like, we just always thought her shtick was hilarious because honestly, and until the, until I would say about a few weeks prior to the end of the last season, she was this ridiculous melodramatic, uh, you know, dr- high drama. I don't know what's the opposite of self-aware, but like she was this crazy person. Right. Mm-hmm. And we love that. That's what, that's what's so good on TV. But when, Everything went down with Carrie. And at at first, I was like, I was hoping it was just, I was like, my fingers were crossed. Like, please let that be just one fleeting, problematic (laughs) moment of like bad judgment. But at a certain point, you can't deny it. It was bad. What she said was really bad and really hurtful. And um, it hurt a lot of people. It hurt a lot of our listeners. And, um, you know, I said on the show, I'm hopeful because having gone to her wedding, I do see that she does have like a diverse friend group and she also does so much work with the LGBTQ community that I was hopeful that she could learn from this. And then, you know, the, the lesson, the, the awareness that she has with LGBTQ, I'm like hoping that she will then like gain awareness mm-hmm. in terms of like racial, uh, how you behave in terms of racial yeah. comments, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I said this on the podcast, and a lot of people thought I was saying, oh, because she's nice to gay people, I'm giving her a pass. I'm like, no, I'm not saying because. I'm saying hopefully that pattern shows that maybe we will then see how – hopefully she has a a pattern of being an ally for one group, so maybe she can be an ally for another group. Hopefully she can learn because I think she thought she had a pass. I think she was one of these white ladies who thought like – I've got some Mexican friends. I got some Latino friends, so I can say these sort of things. And it's like, no, you can't say those things, Leanne. You're still a white yeah. lady. And I mean, do uh, you think she has like? I don't know where. I don't think. I don't really see her being on TV ever again. Like, I don't know if she can come back from that if it's not I, on the show. Yeah, it's it'd definitely be hard. But you know what, though, I think. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past her. I think. I don't think it's the last we've seen of her. I think. I don't know if she's. I don't know if she was fired or if she stepped away. But I think it'll oh, be. Oh, she I think was it's actually, definitely fired. <laughs> yeah, she was probably fired. Yeah. There's not a <laughs> single doubt in my mind. I know, yeah. and like, uh, I think you know what? Step away. Take some time. What she really should be doing with this time is trying to learn from the Latino community and various other communities. To be honest, like she said, like it's gonna take actions, whatever. Uh, prove yourself through actions and, you know, give it some years off, sort of like rebuild, rebuild yourself in terms of like your awareness of all these things. And, you know, maybe, maybe down the line, she will, she'll be back. It's, it's hard. It was really bad. I was, I was very upset as, as like, it's weird. I was upset as a, as a fan and as someone who knows her. Yeah. I was upset because as a fan, I'm like, I love Leanne Locken on these, on these shows. And I felt like, man, like I have been a cheerleader for you on this show and I kind of felt really let down. And by the way, me being a fan of her and feeling let down does not even compare to the hurt that that many people felt about the comments that she said. So I'm not even going to say like that's mm-hmm. the the number one thing, but I'm just saying from my personal experience, you know, aside from the obvious thing, I was like, but I'm also a fan at the end of the day. I was like, damn it, damn it. That was like, I was such a fan of yours. So we'll see what happens. What other housewives have you met and like We've just actually, like had experiences with? Yeah, over the years, we've met a bunch now. I mean, well, we met a bunch at Leanne's wedding uh, from the cast. We met Stephanie and Cameron. And mm-hmm. um, we've met uh, Kelly Dodd, who is a total trip. She is so... What happened? She's exactly... No, she's just so fun. She's exactly what you'd expect on TV. But, like, it's just so Kelly Dodd, you know? Um, well, we met Shannon Bedore once. She came to one of our live shows. She surprised everyone. Like, I've never had, like like, lengthy interactions with uh, anyone from Roni, but I have met Luann and Ramona and Alex McCord and Kelly Ben Simone. Whoa, where did I, you where did you meet these OGs? <laughs> For Alex McCord. Uh, that's was, a deep I cut. Know, it was I know, I know. It was a long time ago. Uh, uh Alex McCord and I used to follow each other on Twitter. Oh and 
It was like the it was like the jewel in my crown back then. It was like Alex McCord and Blair Underwood were like the two celebrities who followed me, and I was like, oh my god. So, um, she was she came to L.A. Like we would like tweet at each other back and forth here and there, and so she came to L.A. on a press junket with uh, Ramona and Luann, mm-hmm. and uh, I tweeted at her something like oh you're in LA and she was like yeah I'm eating at the Ivy I was like oh cool. I was like I go that is so funny I'm eating at the newsroom cafe across the street today which was a full lie yeah. I have not <laughs> eaten <laughs> so she goes she goes oh my god stop by afterwards I was like okay sure how funny that this worked out I mean I am I've fully lied so I drove over <laughs> and then I drove over to the newsroom cafe I parked and then I walked by the famed white picket fence yeah. and I saw Alex McCord. I was acting like I was just walking to the newsroom and I looked at her and I like, she's like, oh my God. And I waved like, oh my God, like how funny is this? It was like the most intentional, like what a soccer thing. So she waved me in and I came over and she was sitting at a table with Luann and Ramona and coincidentally, oh Kelly Ben Simone was the next table over. So she introduced me to everyone. Ramona was very frosty, which was amazing. Luann was frosty too because this was her and her like countess days. Um, so is this like was, season like three? Like what year is this? Yeah, it was around, uh, I think it was like just after season four. It was when, it was actually after Luann, when Luann and Alex really had a, they hated each other, but mm-hmm. somehow for some reason they were stuck in this table together at the at the Ivy. So it was really a dream come true. That is amazing. And w- so you, did you actually like sit down and have like coffee with her or something? No, I, what I did was I wound up standing awkwardly over the table while Alex was trying to talk to me and introduce me and like no one cared. And it was so strange and it's the Ivy and there's famous people there. And I felt very awkward. So after about like two minutes, I was like, okay, well I got to go meet my friends at the newsroom, oh um, which was a lie also. I recently did an episode with Emerson Collins from Oh, I the, love Emerson. Yeah, from People's Couch and he was telling me how you guys love to tell the story about how you were up for the gay slot on People's Couch. Oh my god. So <laughs> <laughs> So when they were first casting for People's Couch, um we we they, they were um approached and basically, basically, it was a Skype. They said, listen, we think you guys are great. Um, what we want to do is we're going to send some producers over and we're going to give you guys a how reel they, to watch. How did they find you guys, though? I think they just knew about the podcast. Oh, so Watch uh, What Crappens was a thing already. This was, the, this was actually the first year of Watch What Crappens because this oh, was when wow. we used to have a co-host named Matt Whitfield. Um, and so it used to be three of us. And so the production company was like, listen, what we're going to do is we're going to send a camera and we're going to send some producers over and um, you're going to watch some TV and we want you guys just to react to it. So we're like, great. Well, like we've got this down. This is what we do. We have a podcast. We're gay. So they come over and we start watching. They turn on the TV and they're like, okay, just react. And we went fucking nuts. Like, uh-huh. We were like, <laughs> we, it was like, Three people on crack. Like, oh my god, look at that. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. Look how way she looks. Like her dress. Her dress is out of control. Oh my god, she gotta control herself. Ew, she just got stabbed. Because they were like showing like Game of Thrones and they were showing they kept on clipping and then and then all of a sudden it was like my six hundred pound life. We're like, wow, she's heavy. You know, we were just it was like we were so on and they just wanted like a more of a natural people watching TV. And we went so far on that it was pretty obvious that we were not going to get that job. <laughs> oh my God. Because I was saying to him, I actually didn't realize that Watch What Crappens had already started. I was saying to him how, if you think about it, People's Couch was basically at the inception of all of these recap shows. Not only the podcast boom, but also, you know, Brian Moylan's job and Molly Fitzpatrick, who do the recaps for Vulture. And before that, it was Julie Klausner, you know, who made an entire career out of yeah. it. Well, actually, Ronnie and I, our background is in TV blogging. So back in back in 2004, my friend and I started a website called TVgasm.com, mm-hmm. which was recapping TV shows. And really, at that time, it was like you either went to EW.com or you went to um, Television Without Pity. Oh, and yeah. I used to read Television Without Pity. That was Remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so we found this great space our lane for ourselves where we could be raunchier than ew could be because ew you know is like ew corporate yeah. but we didn't have to be as like television without pity their recaps were literally like 20 pages long so we found like somewhere like right in between and so um my friend and i started you know started that website back in 2004 
And then Ronnie came, came on as a writer, I think, in 2007 or so, 2006 or seven, And it was really because we had these, this, you know, we had a track record in um, with blogging that we were able to sort of start a podcast with any sort of audience at all. And so we owe everything to TV re- recapping at the end of the day, mm-hmm. which well, I know so- is not. Not really anything you asked about, but I just felt like having an Oscar speech. No, so, no, I, thank that's you, act- Academy. No, <laughs> no, that is that, no, that's a, <laughs> like, that was a great TED talk. I I loved it. No, no, yeah, guys, no, that's I just really love interesting. About myself. <laughs> so, what happened to TV Gasm? It you just got rid of it? Well, what happened was that we, um, so my friend and I, my friend Joe, we actually sold it to Buna Murray, and uh, back in like two thousand and shit. Yeah, that was back in like 2005 or six when everyone was like blogs. How much did and, they pay you for it? Uh, they it was it was like a nice amount, uh, but it was it was definitely a surprising thing. I don't think people who really bought I, they were I think they just got very excited. We lucked into it. Okay, wow. there was no reason why we should have been bought. And basically, um, it was interesting because part of the buyout included that we would be salaried for a year. So like our buyout was also a salary, and so. You know, my friend and I were full time. We're full time uh, blogging, and um, so we did that. But we had like a supervisor who really wanted some some questionable changes for the site that we weren't into, and then there was some friction and yada yada yada. I mean, Buna Murray was great. Like mm-hmm. I loved them, uh, but we just had like someone who was there who was like not the best. And um, ultimately, so I, after a year, after the contract, our contracts were up. We both were like, we're going to leave or do our own separate things. Um, and so, and what happened was, uh, Ronnie actually wound up inheriting TV Gasm and he, uh, he, he kept it alive for a few years, but I don't know if, I don't know if they knew what to do with the site. And I think blogging was already on its waning, was waning out. So they mm-hmm. ultimately, Buna Murray wound up shelving it. And I think it, they, it's like taken down, gone. Wow. <laughs> so, oh, well, but you know, I used, it was really fun while it lasted. Back in the day, I... Right. What you know? What it was sort of like when I was in college. This is a while ago. This was like two thousand one. I had a website where I would transcribe. I was super into SNL, and I was at NYU, and so I would go over there, you know, to Thirty Rock every single weekend. And so I had like a relationship with the whole cast. So like, and this uh. was at the time. It was like Jimmy Fallon, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, and I would like make tons of friends that way. And through like other fellow essential like stalkers, you know, who would yeah. like we we I knew exactly, yeah, like we knew exactly what time to go on Friday night, what time to go on Saturday morning. Like they all come in at eleven if you guys want to do this right now. I might because well, I yeah <laughs> you, you might I love I I've like grown I grew up on SNL so I might do that. You know how everybody has like their cast, which was your cast. My favorite cast was. Uh, the sort of the late nineties when it was um Will Ferrell and Cherry O'Terry and yeah. Molly Shannon. Uh it was basically when they, they got rid of all like the quote unquote bad boys of SNL yes, and everyone was all yes. mad. Yeah. Everyone was yeah. all mad and then the, they brought this new cast in and they were so funny. But people were like not people were still down on them at first because people don't like change, but I thought they were amazing off like from the like out the gate, they were just so good. I totally agree with you. Um so the reason I brought up this Saturday night live story based on the you know your story of recapping so at that time i created a website called fallonfay.com where i would transcribe what i thought were the best update jokes that week and i think at that time i was also capturing the video i remember i had like this is before there weren't even you know i remember i was using like i had two vcrs connected to each Mm. other and i would record the video and then upload it to my site and i did that for like the entire length of their tenure. So it was like six years. And I had in the entire wow. like catalog of all their best jokes with the video, um, you know, of it. This was, there was no YouTube. This was like 2001. Right. I remember we used to do that on TV Gasm. Like we would have to, we would upload our videos to our server and then like, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. you play and it'd be like a quick time embedded quick time yes. player. And you press, yeah. <laughs> so I, when that stopped or like when like they both left the show, I kept it up for like a bunch of years and then you know, my life moved on. So I wasn't like as obsessed with it anymore. And so I definitely wasn't paying attention to the site. And I guess I just let the URL, the domain go. Mm -hmm. And so 
I, you know, I definitely don't own it anymore. I haven't owned it in at least like 10 years, but that's like the biggest mistake I think I've ever made in business (laughs) was letting that domain go. Well, who knows? You could, maybe someday you'll get to buy it back. But like, I would want that site. Like it was just, I, I guess I just didn't have the foresight that like, no, actually this could be a great archive that could just live indefinitely. Like I, right. It just reminded me, it made me think of that, like how you guys, you know, got bought out and then you just let the thing go or, you know, Buna Murray, let yeah. it go. Well, first of all, there is the internet time machine. So you can usually find oh, a lot yeah. of things on that. Yeah. Um, I, I actually am like, oh, I'm at peace with TVgasm going offline because it was really fun. And every now and then there's what something shows like, were oh. you? What shows were you recapping? At that time, uh, Big Brother, The Hills, Survivor, Twenty Four, like everything. It was mm-hmm. everything. But um, I'm actually okay with it. You know, I also know that that was at a time. You know, I was in my twenties. I was younger. I was. Um, I was also a closeted gay guy, and I think I had a lot of self loathing going on. And so, I imagine that my recaps have been littered. Were littered with a lot of comments now that would you probably go back and be like, that's slut shaming. That's homophobic. Mm. That's, you know, I'm just sure they're just like littered with it, Mm -hmm. which is like a, which is what happens with immaturity and what happens with also like not being around other people or just having issues with yourself. So I'm like, okay with like that, not being online, not because I'm like, Oh no, I'm afraid someone's going to dig it up because people can still dig it up if they want to, Mm -hmm. but more like, I don't think we like, that's not going to be helpful to other people to, to read that, you know? So I'm mm-hmm. I'm like happy to like you know to keep growing and I mean, I I mean I'm my fingers are crossed I mean hopefully none of that stuff is in there that would be wonderful but you know like inevitably <laughs> yeah. with the yeah. amount of the, the sheer volume of content that we put out you know I'm just like you know I'm happy to say that was fun at that time had a great time happy to have that like I'm I'm happy to focus on the content I'm creating now and uh, you know it's it's also like sort of like going through your diary or something. Like twenty years ago, yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah. How did you know? how did you meet Ronnie? Ronnie wrote in. He wrote in. Um, we said that we were looking for new writers, and he and he submitted oh, wow. like a, a writing submission. It was super funny. And were he, were you both living in L.A. at that time? Yep, we were in, both in L.A. And um, it, yeah, so we thought he was funny, so we started writing, and he was popular. He oh, I mean, he's so so funny mm-hmm. in real life, in in all forms. All forms of Ronnie are super. Funny. <laughs> But that's that's why it was like a natural a natural thing to to partner with him for a podcast. Aside from doing these written recaps, were you like pursuing careers in comedy? Like, were you doing yeah. sketch or stand up or any of that? Yeah, I I was not doing stand up because I had a um I had a an undermining friend who told me I would not be good at stand up, and I oh god, what an like, asshole! <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then I never pursued it. Holy crap. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's funny how people can be influential in that way. But I don't, I don't know if, I, to be fair, I don't know if stand-up is really my thing. Um, I came out to L.A. to be a writer, to be a comedy writer. I actually, um, when I was in college, I, you know, I earned my stripes as an intern at 30 Rock. I was an intern at Conan O'Brien, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, oh right there at 30 God. Rock. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Which was a dream. Like, still probably the best job I've ever had to this day. It was just, it was just the best thing ever. I mean... I so would like, go what to did work. you? Uh, yeah, like what take me through your day? What sort of like duties did you have? I mean, there's a lot of menial stuff. A lot of stuff like fetch this, fetch that. Go pick up this thing from this place. Pick up this thing from this place. Probably a lot of things that have actually been replaced by the internet and technology. There's a lot of that stuff. But every now and then, you get to do something really cool, like um, go out on what they would call a remote with Conan and Andy, and you'd, like drive to like Palisades Park or something to shoot something. And I, I remember getting to do that and riding in the same van as Conan. And on the on the drive out there, it was like Conan and Andy and all the riders, and then me. And I was like very intimidated. And I was like, I can't say anything. And then at one point, for some reason, like I wound up in the van alone with Conan. I probably was not supposed to be in the van anymore, but I was still <laughs> in the van. They're probably like, intern, get out of there. But I was in there and I remember saying to him, so you went to Harvard. How was that? And he was like, fine because he's like who is this crazy kid but then on the ride back like after a day of shooting it was just like you know when you do a shoot it's just so much energy and everyone's tired and sort of like the like the roles of like star intern all that writer head writer it all kind of went out the window no one cared anymore everyone was exhausted and then on that drive back we all were like talking and for like an hour and a half i got to like hang out with conan like 
I won't say as a friend because I wasn't a friend, but in a way that I was like not an intern. I was just like someone he was like chatting with. And that was like such an invaluable and special thing that I will always cherish to this day. What did you study in college? And also like where did you go to college? I went to Dartmouth College and I studied uh, – well, my major was history. Mm-hmm. But I actually – I actually studied a lot of things. I, I just I knew I wanted to be a writer, so I just wanted to take a lot of classes in a lot of different areas to try to diversify my background because I felt like that could all be thrown into my writing. So mm-hmm. I took classes in uh, in computer science and psychology. I took a class called the Literary Fairy Tale. I took classes <laughs> on linguistics. Like it was like full on liberal yeah. arts. And then like, what? Rough, and then like, you moved out to LA just to like get a TV writing job. Yeah, I moved out in two thousand one after I graduated, and um, I, I was hoping to to eventually be a TV writer. And so I got a job as a as a PA on a show called Andy Richter Controls the Universe. So oh, like yes. totally coincidentally, yes, yeah, I wound up working with Andy Richter again. And by the way, Andy Richter is so nice. He's so cool. I mean, Conan was cool too, but Andy yeah. was so cool. Um, so I was a PA on that and then I wound up being a writer's assistant and it was this amazing show because Matt Weiner, who then went on to create Mad Men, he was a writer on that show and we were like friends and like, he like gave me his Yom Kippur tickets (laughs) for the synagogue (laughs) and he and like, and he actually, he actually, this is a totally true story. I know, I feel like this sounds like such a bullshit story, but it's true. He gave me a copy of Mad Men to read back in 2002. Oh, my and he's God. Like, like Check the, out this, the pilot? The pilot. He's like, oh, he's like oh, I want to wow. know what you think. And I read it, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm poor. Idiot. But which I'm, I love Mad Men. But um, so that was cool. Will Gluck, who has now become a huge comedy director, came out of that show. There were like a lot of, a lot of cool people. So it was a really, really awesome experience to be around that. And then I kind of um, toiled trying to be a writer for like, years and years. Um, like I, I, I then veered over into um, screenwriting, like more feature f- feature writing. And I had some success there where I got hired on projects, but then the projects would never go all the way. And then like, I would sort of like have these brushes with greatness. Like I got called in to be a writer for um, the Br- for Bruno, the Bruno movie. And I like oh, met with sh- Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh my and God. I, I shat the bed. So you don't even know how big I shat the bed what at happened? that meeting. Um, he asked me if the very first question he asked is like, oh, he goes, Mandelker, is that is that a German last name? And I go, oh, well, technically it's Austrian. And I just love German words like Apfelstrudel. And I just started listing German <laughs> words I liked. And I saw his eyes glazing over, but I knew I couldn't stop because I, I couldn't just like stop. You have to like take it to someplace. And I like meekly brought it to some sort of punchline and i was like what am i doing reciting german words to sasha baron cohen when i'm trying to get hired this is the biggest opportunity in my life and i am literally just listing german words what were the other brushes with greatness um what were the other brushes of greatness i mean i i definitely i had a um i actually had a pilot as recently as i think it was 2016 i'd written a pilot and zach braff was attached to direct and Chernin was attached as producers, uh, and so was Automatic. Automatic Chernin did uh, the New Girl, and oh, Automatic, yeah. yeah, and Automatic I think was like involved in one of the somehow involved with La La Land. So it was this wow. like really amazing package, and it was like so cool. We're going into different different all sorts of various networks pitching this story with these high profile producers. One of them was just nominated for for. Ford versus Ferrari, or whatever. <laughs> Ferrari versus Mustang. <laughs> yes, or, yes. You know, whatever. Ford versus Ferrari. Yes. <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari. They like when at the Oscars, they're like when they rattle up the, the the names of the three producers. One of them was the producer of my show. I was like, oh my god, I love her. I can't believe that she's like. So you what, know, what so happened like, with the show? Well, you know, I mean, like everyone was like, we love this show. Everyone loved it. <laughs> right. Everyone loved it. And, and it was, by the way, and so cool. I was like with Zach Braff going into rooms and like hanging with Zach Braff, you know, it was like so cool. And then uh, it was a really fun idea. And then ultimately no one bit. And mm. I don't know why it's just Hollywood. And, you know, that's sort of the story of my entire writing career yeah. for the past like 15 years. And, and, and th- meaning that anything getting made in Hollywood, it's like a miracle, you know, because there's yeah. so many things that you just can't anticipate. Like I was hired to rewrite 
this old Rodney Dangerfield movie called Easy Money. I was hired by MGM Studios to rewrite it. Mm -hmm. And I had to like meet with his widow, Joan Dangerfield. And so I had to win her over. (laughs) She loved me, of course, because I could play the nice gay boy card, even though I was still in the closet. Um, Oh, I may have been out. I don't know. I know I think I was still in, but you know, mm-hmm. I could still exude nice gay boy, nice gay Jewish boy. <laughs> yes. By the way, so many layers of niceness. <laughs> and um, won her over and everything. And then like it was like the the writer strike. Or no, actually in that case, there was an issue between MGM and the Dangerfield estate. And then I had another thing that I was doing with like McG. And that was going forward. And then McG got uh, Terminator Salvation and the writer strike hit. It's like there's so many external things that happen. So I always felt like uh, I was always on the cusp of something and to bring it back to podcasting, you know, after the the pitch with Je- with Zach sort of went ran its course, that's when Crappens really started to go to the next level. That's when we started mm-hmm. to tour and everything. And that's when I was like, you know what? I love writing and I still want to write, which is why I have like a little YouTube cartoon that I do about the Real Housewives. Yeah, the but, ki- Real Housewives of Kitchen Island. Yeah. Yeah, the Real ho- yeah, the Real Housewares. Housewares. <laughs> My apologies. Yeah. But I was just like, you know what? Like I want to do like Right now, this podcast is so fun for me. I love doing it with Ronnie. And it's giving me, it's like, it's allowing me just to like have my voice in a way that Hollywood was not allowing me to. Mm-hmm. Like everything I would like try to write or whatever, I had to always be like, I always have to explain, but where do you see this going? What's it going to be? And I'm like, it's, I wrote, I wrote a funny script. Just buy it. But it's also, <laughs> like, but it's also amazing. You're so lucky that you had, you have the confidence and the talent to perform because not every writer is a performer. And you happen like, well, like you. when did you figure out that you could actually perform? You know what? This is all tying together because honestly, I learned a lot of it from Conan O'Brien because oh, when wow. I was an intern there, yeah, he I'm was like a writer joking. performer. Yeah, and I would sit there, and um, at what, they, there are like different tiers of internships with Conan, at least at that time. And um, there's like the normal internship, and then you get to be, then there's like, um, you can be a script intern. And for like three weeks, I was a script intern, uh, which was, it's like way more intensive. And when you do that, you're, deliver, you're constantly printing out scripts and delivering them all around 30 Rock. Again, this is like pre email. So, mm-hmm. I mean, email existed, but it was like pre email culture yeah everyone still had aol or whatever yahoo yeah Yeah. and so you're delivering them all around and then you're in the control room and then you are literally like three minutes before curtain you are standing with conan as he looks over the monologue jokes and he crosses off the ones he likes uh, the ones he doesn't like the ones he likes and then you have to bring that to the cue card guys like it's that kind of intensity and then during the show you sit there in the control room so you just have this amazing access and i remember and even regardless of that, you could just watch, rehe- you would see rehearsals every day. It would be on the closed circuit thing. And I would watch the way Conan would take a joke and just build on it and build on it and build on it and like never let it go, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why probably I drive so many comic bits on our podcast to the ground because when it works, it's so fun when you just take a bit and just go to the extreme with it. And when it doesn't work, well, you know, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> it doesn't work. But um, yeah, so. I I have to credit Conan O'Brien for so much of that. And is like the talent that you both have for improv, is that just like, did you ever study improv or part of like Upright Citizens Brigade or you just figured it out? I always wanted to. Ever since I moved to LA 20 years ago, nearly 20 years ago, I was like, I want to take an improv class. And (laughs) I never did. Um, I took an improv class in uh, sleepaway camp when I was in ninth grade. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that just laid a really good well, foundation. Well, now you can teach it, my friend. You, <laughs> oh, are, you, you guys are the masters of improv. You are very kind. But I actually think I still want to take a class because I think there's like a lot I can learn about listening techniques, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes because I do feel like I'm a writer at heart, which sounds so pretentious. But sometimes I'm like, in my mind, sometimes I, if, if I want to see myself crafting a joke in my head, I'm like not present and then I miss something and then I just don't land my jokes. So I still have to like learn to like listen, which is like the worst. Who wants to listen? But, but either way, um, I will say though that the podcast has really changed my life because I was for so many years jumping through hoops for producers, development executives trying to prove why i deserved a shot trying to prove why i'm funny why they should hire me mm-hmm. why um why i should be part of the writing room why why someone should see my vision and like having to constantly constantly prove myself to someone who's going to be fired a week later and you know going through all this work of having like bending over backwards for people and adjusting pitches etc for someone's whim 
And to finally sort of like put that to the side for the moment and just focus on what Ronnie and I do and say, be like, I just like, we're just creating content and we're delivering it directly to an audience. Mm -hmm. And it's just been, it's been so satisfying. And I do still, I still would love to write. I still would love to have a big old writing credit or like a movie (laughs) or something like that. But I'm going to let it be on my terms. You know, why do I have to, why do I have to bow down to some random person? Right? Like, (laughs) like... (laughs) Getting like I'm yeah. like feeling very empowered. Right now <laughs> so you guys have to watch, you know, like every single or the one, you know, pretty much every single show on Bravo or at least like the headline shows. If you can eliminate one from your from the deck, you know, just to lighten your load, like what what is a show that you would not be watching for fun if this wasn't your full time job? Ooh, that's such a good question. It's so hard because. Sometimes there would there was a period of time where I would have said that about New Jersey. I would have said I'm not going to watch New Jersey. Yeah. It's just terrible. But now it's amazing. Like yeah, yeah, the yeah. shows ebb and flow. Sometimes I think Married to Medicine because I feel like Married to Medicine usually starts off really well, but then it kind of sort of just settles into this this groove of hey, it's couples and we're all going to go on a couple's vacation and mm-hmm. talk about stuff. And, and, and I'm like, ugh, I have to watch another couple's vacation. It just sort of always winds yeah. up going in the same direction every season. But even Marriage to Medicine, I would still watch. It's hard, it's hard to kill your babies. <laughs> and like, if you could bring back any canceled Bravo shows from mm. the past, like, what do you wish like, was still around? Well, since you didn't say any one canceled one, I'm going to give you a few of them. Oh, please. Uh, uh, Real Housewives of Miami. Mm-hmm. Deserves, deserves another shot because what's, a, what's um, better, Miami or DC? Because I actually haven't Miami. seen either. Oh, Miami, okay. But I like DC too, to be honest. Yeah, I was. Um, I'm for some reason I'm really intrigued with DC. Like I'm think, and also because it's just one season, it, it just feels so manageable. I I think I would love it. I may just like. I enjoyed it. It was a little, it was yeah. a little kooky. Mm-hmm. But you know, I th- I think you know Potomac is essentially a reboot of DC. I think it's yes. the same area, and I think they just wanted to call it something else. Yeah, Miami. Um, season season one was like was was good. Season two was amazing. One of the best seasons on Bravo ever. Season three was 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 good. Not great. It should have been stronger. Joanna Krupa stopped drinking. Um, she started manage. She started producing herself, okay. which was not good. Um, it definitely deserved another season. Also, because. So many of these franchises are kind of based off of stereotypes, right? Like, you like New York when it started off was sort of like the like like stereotypical like New York Jewish Jewish women kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Orange County is like blonde women, right? Like they all have a thing, and it's not it's not to be like oh I want to see more stereotypes, but I do think like why not why not like I get let me rephrase that because it's it's not about stereotypes. It's more like they center around a certain type of group, mm-hmm. right? And why not, like, give us some Latina representation? And what are, like, your, like, top two favorite Housewives shows? New York. 100% New York. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, man, there was a period of time when it was an easy call for me with Beverly Hills. But mm-hmm. Beverly Hills has not been great the past few few years. Um, God, Potomac was so good. I have to talk it out. God, talk it out. Potomac <laughs> was so good. Dallas. Dallas has been really great, but I'm a little concerned for its future. And New Jersey has been on fire. I'm it might mm. now it might be New York and New Jersey. Mm. Maybe we'll give like top two. Who do you think are the greatest housewives of all time? I have an I have a very distinct answer for number one, and it always pisses people off. But my favorite of all time is Countess Lewandelaseps because I agree. She, I agree with you. Thank you. Yes. I mean, this is a woman who she was uh, like a countess like a stiff countess who released books about class and etiquette and then she fucks a pirate yep and then she like you know and then now she's a cat she went to she goes to jail she breaks out of handcuffs I don't, i've never even met anyone i've never heard of that she <laughs> got out of her handcuffs she goes to jail she becomes a cabaret star i mean it's just such a she has she has the trajectory. wildest trajectory yes yes yeah. I, mean, I, think I think her and bethany have the most compelling stories yeah Bethany, well, what's great about Bethany is that she is very raw. And yeah. she she does let us in, which is the mark of a great reality star. The ones who don't let us in, like Joanna Krupa, or some of the ones on Beverly Hills, to be honest, um, the audience can pick up on that. And the, the show suffers because of that. Do you have, a, num- do you have a number two aside from, say, like, Bethany? Like, so, like, Luann's number oh, one. Oh, no. 
it's really, really hard who my number two is. I'm, I mean, I do love Ramona Singer, too. I hate to pull from the same show, but mm-hmm. I love Ramona Singer. There was a period of time when I would have said Lisa Vanderpump also, but I think Lisa's sort of become a little stale and crusty. I mean, I still, mm-hmm. I'm still on her side. I still love Lisa, but I think she's no longer... She might not even be top five anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. New York sort of... Between Ramona and Dorinda and Bethany and Sonia, it's hard to have room for women of other shows. And what are you most looking forward to, like going into the next round, which will be like New York, Beverly Hills, Potomac? Like, what are you m- most excited to see play out? Just New York. New York is just, it's so, so good. It's just always mm-hmm. good. And we have, and what's good for us is that it's so fun for us to do, to recap. Any show that's easy for us to recap is always a joy, you know, because when it's a, when it's a show that's like not easy to recap and you're trying to make jokes and it, you just know you're not making good jokes, you it, feel what it. What makes it easy to recap or a show easy to recap or like difficult and like maybe like give examples, like what shows are easier versus more difficult. So New York and New Jersey so far and Summer House have been really easy to, to recap for me because they're distinct characters. When there are distinct characters, it's like it's like it's like storytelling. If there are distinct mm-hmm. characters, it's easy to come up with jokes and improvise what they would say, right? And they also yeah. have such unique yes their their voice you know in their characters but also their literal voices in new york and new jersey yeah they're so you can run with the impersonations exactly and new jersey has really you know new jersey has really risen to that like you like like uh dolores is very distinct from Teresa. is very distinct distinct from margaret josephs who by the way i also love Mm -hmm. she might be a top fiver Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. um they all have like a different jennifer like who is like a monster but like distinct voice distinct person personality distinct pov um it makes it easier to make the jokes um like one show that can be the below deck for instance god i love below deck and and kate chastain kate chastain and captain lee to go back to what you asked before, there are other they they are two other Bravo celebrities that we've met, and they are so awesome. Love them both. That one could be really tricky because also those below deck. There's so much cross cutting and there's so much happening per episode. It can be hard to get into a groove of of like building a scene like through, yeah. through jokes. But sometimes it works, and we have an amazing time. But other times it could be really challenging. I can absolutely see that on Below Deck where like the people aren't they aren't strong enough archetypes. You know, like the regular you know how they rotate the crew in and out each year yeah and sometimes what happens is in the beginning of a season of below deck it's hard to find the jokes because we don't know the personalities very well but by the end of the season that's when like the inside jokes have built up and then we are able to be like more reliably i feel more reliably funny with with our jokes and our commentary Oh, ben, I have loved chatting with you. I love your whole story. You know, like turning at Thirty Rock. Where are you from originally? New York. I'm from oh, Westchester, are? New York. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. Oh, is that where now, you're from? I uh, yeah, I'm from Long Island originally. Went to college uh, um, at NYU, and now I'm, I live in the city. Yeah. What year did you graduate NYU? Two thousand and four. Oh, we are all, well. Technically, I mean, I I graduated at Dartmouth at two thousand one. So. You know, I just met someone who went to NYU who graduated 2004. Gosh, who was that? I met them this past week. I'll have to see if you guys know each other if I can remember who it is. <laughs> yeah, oh, well. find out I love where, the name find out where they live. <laughs> yeah, I'm addicted to it. <sighs> thank um, you. Thank but, you so much. Where everybody, obviously, they know to find you at Watch What Crappens. Um, where can people find you online? Um, so uh, me personally, I'm at Ben Mandelker on Instagram and Twitter. Please give me a follow because I have these are like superficial goals of reaching like you know do you want to do you want to be able to sw- <laughs> can you swipe up yet on instagram i, mean, I can swipe up yeah, okay, i can good. swipe up <laughs> but i just like i, I want to get a blue dot basically uh, <laughs> <laughs> well wait yeah, i you you know that you can um you can re- you it's something that you request unless you're jennifer aniston you really you literally just like you fill out a form you have to I, send in I, your id and then that's it i've literally done it like three times and, and they been keep rejected saying, they keep saying you're not notable, and it's like <laughs> maybe now that I've done this podcast, maybe I will have elevated myself. But maybe. Um, it's like it's like a constant, like it's it's devastating when you get that email. You're like, I am not notable. I am a not a notable person. It's a totally superficial, vain thing. But I I want a blue dot more than anything else. So but um, but for real though, I'm at Ben Mandelker on Twitter and Instagram, and I guess I should show also that we do live shows. I've been sort yes. of mentioning. It, we are like on tour through June and then we're taking a long break. 
But we're going to all sorts of cities, and we are doing some really big shows. In um, We're doing the Wilbur in Boston, and we're also doing the Lincoln Theater in D.C. So those are like our biggest wow. venues we've ever done. So we're trying to definitely like get people in those seats because – when there's like a packed audience, like the energy is just unparalleled. So, uh, you know, we we're we already have sold actually a large amount of tickets at both those places, but um, we still want to get people in there. So, Ven- so come join the party. Venue, venues that our very own Countess Luann has performed at. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we, we have we have definitely intersected with Countess Luann a few times at those venues. We both played Gramercy, the Gramercy Theater, yes. and. It was such an honor to be in the same green room where Luann <laughs> yeah. kicked out her castmates. I have to prepare. <laughs> I mean, who oh do they think God. I am? <laughs> Just some two-bit dog and pony show. No, I've got a cabaret show. Get out of my dressing room. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was lovely. All right, you guys, you can follow me, Jess XNYC, and we will see you soon. 